Hey there, it's Bailey Hancock, career happiness strategist, creator of The One Year Career, and your host of The Bailey Hancock Show, a podcast that helps people figure out how to make big career moves with small steps. Navigating your career doesn't have to suck. I'm here to help you learn to love the process. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Bailey Hancock here. Today, we have somebody that you've no doubt heard of and thought hashtag goals about because she is hashtag goals. Jacqueline Johnson, better known as the founder of Create and Cultivate and now most recently author of Work Party, a book that will be released right around the time of this episode airing. So I'm beyond excited to have Jacqueline on because we've known each other for years now and I've kind of, I feel like I've had a front row seat to how her career has just grown and evolved and unfolded and it's been fantastic to watch and even more fantastic to know her. So Jacqueline, welcome to the party. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And that intro was glowing. I feel amazing. You know, you deserve it, girl. You deserve it. You work your ass off and it's always nice to see people that bust their ass and actually have it work out for them. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely the, the right side of the coin to be on. No uh, kidding. But yeah, we, um, I joke cause it's funny. Like I feel like all of us, you know, like a large group of us in Los Angeles all knew each other, you know, four or five years ago. And it's been awesome to kind of see how everyone's progressed and, um, had success in their own ways. So it's a fun yeah. to be a part of. It's the best to be able to see the people around you succeed and, be able to just be like, oh, I, we all knew each other when we weren't shit. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> right. Yeah. Jacqueline and I met back when I was at General Assembly in the early days of GALA and Create and Cultivate was just starting and it was just kind of a fun little side project you had going on when you were still working with We Are No Subject and yeah. to see what it's become in, in really such a short period of time is pretty magical. And I think it does speak to those relationships you know, and the nurturing of those relationships back before you knew what anybody could do for you, you know, it was never about that. Yeah. I always say, you know, network horizontally, you know, I think it's, it's so important because I think women, um, and just like media in general makes you think I got to network with that top CEO. I got to like meet with her. And it's like, no, like network with the people on the way up because once you get there, it's like all about those relationships and then all the favors you needed come to fruition and everyone's there to help each other out when they have budget and power and say, and it's amazing because it's like, if you just focus on like networking with those women that are already at the top, it's like you kind of miss out on the community you can build around you. No, man. I mean, I definitely say that like looking around you first for even mentors too, like people that are in the same zone as you, those are who you come up with. And it's crazy how quickly time flies and suddenly you're like, holy shit, this girl I used to go to brunching at Waste and on Mimosas with is like running things over at this company that I want an intro at. Totally. Yeah, it's very cool. So I think, you know, and I want to get into that a little bit about collaboration over competition and really leveraging your community to succeed since you've done that so well. But first, for those of you that aren't familiar with Jacqueline, um, give us kind of a little, like a very high level quick overview of, well, A, I always like to ask, what did little Jacqueline want to be when she grew up? Well, I definitely wanted to be a magazine editor. I think like a lot of the girls in our age, like whatever the movies, the media. I don't know what did it. (laughs) 
You're totally what, right. It was a hot job. Like it was like the corner office, like fashion magazine editor was like the hot move. Yeah. And I, I honestly, I got close. Like I interned at Condé. I was like on the route and then like slowly realized magazines were dying at the time and digital was kind of taking over. And that also they pay you like $10 a year. So I was like, cool, <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> Yay. So dream, dreams crushed. But I also feel like it's so funny because the thing that you think you're going to be or, or want to be is so far off from what you actually end up doing. Cause there's so many jobs no one knows about. I mean, I feel like when you're growing up, you're like doctor, lawyer, astronaut. Yep, like, there's like five. Yeah. And it's like, no, there's a thousand jobs in between, especially now. Yeah, it is funny. I do find that there's usually hints of um, reality within what we wanted to be when we were little, like for you, magazine publisher, like editor, for me, it was kind of in the same zone. I definitely originally went to college for magazine journalism because I wanted to do that. Yeah. I just, same idea. I don't know. I, I really, we need to figure out what movie put that in our brains. But, I know. Um, it wasn't Ugly Betty because that was after, but yeah. It no, was I, what was the one that was like forever 30 or something? Oh, like that? Um, do you know what I'm talking right, about? Where she was like 30, 30 yeah. flirty and thriving. Yeah, or 13 to 30 or something exactly. like that. But I was like, she just had like the really hot boyfriend. She had like the limo picking her up. And I, 13 going on 30. Yes. It could have been yes. that. Maybe I don't know that, but it's funny in the bold type. Now it's that again, so yeah. we're still like putting this in little girls Peddling that job. Yeah. For yeah. whatever reason, maybe it's the magazine industry, like on a secret campaign to get, I know. To they're like, we're still alive. Them. Yeah. We're still here. We still can't pay you, but look how glamorous it look is. How she there's, a, there's a fashion closet. It's so true. It's so true. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So you ended up, yeah, you kind of started down that path. You realize like, all right, this isn't going to work out. Um, at what point did you end up out in LA? Cause I know that's a big, big turning point in your career story. Yeah, totally. So I was, I went to NYU. I was living and working in New York. I was on, um, working within agencies at the time. So I was at attention and then I was at iCrossing all during sort of peak social media time. Um, so I kind of hit that at the right time, right place. Um, I ended up going in-house to Interactive Corporation, which sounds like a fake company, but it's not. Um, and they owned a lot of dot-coms. So like weather.com, match.com, et cetera. I was um, working at uh, pronto.com, which was their Amazon competitor. Mm -hmm. um, and basically was doing social media marketing uh, for them and the Daily Beast and like a bunch of other sites. And then the recession hit essentially. Um, and my, at the time, CEO was like, look, you can either take a pay cut, like a massive pay cut, or same job, same title, same salary, and move across the country to Los Angeles and work at City Search. Um, and it was one of those things where it was like, I was ending a relationship, my lease was up, it was like the perfect storm perfect to like timing. get me out of New York. And I'd never been to California and just took, took it on a whim and like followed the universe and, and then landed in LA. It's so funny, the recession is such a key piece of all of our stories. Anybody that graduated college before like 08, that's, that's huge part of the first chapter of our careers is like how, not did, but how did the recession affect your career and what was that turning point for you? Yeah, that got you in California. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting because I think our, it, you know, I work with a lot of younger girls on my team and stuff and the mentality towards work is so interesting because I think for us, it was like, get a job, you need a job. Like if you get a job, hold on to that job. Like it was very scary because we all had like insane student loan debt. We all spent so much money on college. College was there to give us that good job. And I think for this generation, it's just like totally different. They're like, no, like 
uh, you know, self-care first. I want my work-life balance. I like want a job I'm passionate about. I want a job that like caters to like what I care about. And it's just like, we were just like, yeah, I mean, like I need to find a job and just hold on to it. It was so stressful. It It was was so stressful. It was just a totally different time. So I think it's really interesting because I do, I think it's funny, like everyone on the senior side of the company has that story and that turning point um, or an inflection point in their career. Yeah, for sure. I'm grateful for it now. You know, it's been 10 years, but at the time I certainly wasn't, but man, it, it taught me right off the bat. And I think all of us that nothing is guaranteed and it doesn't actually matter how hard you work. That isn't how people are rewarded in, in your career, which it's a slap in the face, but damn, I mean, it was a great reality check right off the bat. A hundred percent agree. So you got out to LA. Got out to LA, um, started working and then basically like within three months got laid off. So I was like, great. I'm in a city where I know no one. I have zero relationships. At the time also the major, I mean, the major industry still is, but at the time was the only industry was entertainment, um, of which I had zero experience. Um, so it was a really isolating experience, not only because one, like my, um, I had lost my job and, and basically my career identity. So, you know, I'd always identified as like a successful career person. Like I was like, I'm on the up and up. And um, all of a sudden you're like, cool, how does this narrative fit into my like story? And then it's also like, I, I legitimately just need to figure out how to make money. And I, it was really hard applying for jobs. Everything was to promote film and entertainment. And I was like, I just don't know how to do that. And so um, ended up freelancing, um, ended up, um, getting a lot of clients, ended up getting employees and ended up starting my first company, you know, subject, which was a marketing events and influencer agency truly built out of like, I had zero business plan. I had zero intention of starting a company. I literally just was like, cool, I have more clients than I can take on. I'll have more employees. I'll have more clients. I have more employees. And like, basically it was like, it just evolved on its own. And, and again, I just, figured, Hey, I can't get a job. I can't find a job that's for fashion, lifestyle, beauty. That's focusing on social media versus traditional PR. So I'm just going to like create it and put my services out there and, and was lucky enough to have brands that needed that service. And how did you get that first client? Because that's always the hardest part, right? Especially like you're over in this new place, your network's not here. Mm-hmm. How did like, what were the things you needed to do? The people you needed to connect with? Like, did you need to go back and learn anything? Like, what was that process from you know, that, that breakdown place, which sucks. I mean, I got fired in 2010 and was like, me, you're going to fire me. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it was such a slap in the face, but it got me to California too. So there's something in that. Um, but from that moment of being like, well, shit, I can't get a job. I'm going to make one for myself. What were the steps you took to get that off the ground? Yeah. So it took like a sad email I had to send out to everyone. I was like, so guys, guess what? My big move to California, big fail. Um, But everyone was super supportive. And especially actually my CEO that was the one that was like, you should go to California. It was like, oh my God, shoot. I'm sure. I, like, they felt so bad. They felt super bad. And so basically he hooked me up with my first client, um, which was Folica, um, which is essentially like a Sephora competitor who needed social media strategy. Um, from there, it was word of mouth and honestly me just hitting the pavement really hard um, and getting clients. Like, And again, like these were $2,000 a month retainers. I was just like thrilled to be getting and like working on it by myself. And, um, it, you know, I, it was honestly, I would take anything. I like, it wasn't curated or cool. Like I, we worked, I remember we worked with like a downtown bike shop. I was like, whatever, 
like, great. I can I'll take your money. Yeah, I'll take your money. I can do this. Like, I was just like, whatever to like feed the beats, feed the beats, like keep the company going, like, or like keep my rent paid. Like it was just literally trying to do as much as possible. And I also at the time was lucky enough to have my blog. So I started a blog really early on, um, which is no longer, but I was, you know, in the blogging community, I was going to blogging events. So I was, you know, obviously in the mix there and was doing some paid stuff um, through that. So I was kind of like pipelining my blog stuff, using it to fund this new company and to like hire people eventually. And uh, my first big break was um, getting our client project, which is a fashion trade show. Mm -hmm. And basically I was invited to speak on a panel about social media at this trade show, flew myself out, put myself up and spoke on a panel about like fashion and, and social media and the future of influencers and all that and got offered a job by the president of the trade show um, as their director of marketing. And I was like, no, 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 hire my, hire my agency, but having no idea what I was doing. And he was like, uh -huh. cool, fly to New York and pitch me next week. And I was like, okay. So scraped together like $300 to buy the ticket and, and basically pitched him. And he signed on as a year long client and I was able to hire and do stuff from there. That's amazing. What was your blog focused on? So my blog was called Some Notes on Napkins. It still exists. It's like a time capsule on the internet. Amazing. And it was, it, it's so funny because if you go back, I had it since 2006 and it was just like, I'm a 20 something in New York, like, you know, very Carrie Bradshaw. Um, and towards the end, it was really just like collages of like products and fashion and things I liked. I basically kind of started to bow out a little bit when it became more about taking pictures of yourself and your life. I just like was never into that, I much preferred being behind the scenes. Um, so, I mean, unfortunately, I probably missed the boat on like millions of dollars. <laughs> you were, you so, could have been an original influencer. I could have been in like Tulum right now. Like, what? Are, what the hell? Like, I, I always like joke about it. I'm like, cool decision. But I mean, it's it's honestly, it's like your. What's your passion? Like, what are you right. into? It I wasn't love, you. It wasn't me. I love working with brands, but I love like putting together the bigger strategies. I love like putting other people up on stage. I like really like that part of my job and it's like what I naturally enjoy. So you have to just figure out what's right for you too. Absolutely. And you know, I think we all have those moments where we're like, I could go down this path. This is working, but you have to pause and think, is this something that actually speaks to me? And that totally. is going to be the best use of my talents, time and interest. Cause if it's not, it'll wear on you real fast. Oh, totally. Yeah. How did you start to build your network in LA? You said the blogger community, like how did you start meeting people and, and creating your community? Yeah, I was um, aggressive about going out and meeting people. I had to be, I was like working from home. I knew no one. I live by myself. I was just like all of a sudden like full stop. This is like, I got to get out. I got to like make friends. And honestly, going to other events, but then I just started throwing my own events. So I would throw events in our no subject office space, which was like a thousand square feet in downtown LA. Um, it was not cool. It was not air conditioned, like, so not cool literally. And like, not cool figuratively. Like I was sweating all the time. Um, but it was, it was a space and like coming from New York, I was like, I can't believe I have a physical space. Like this is <laughs> right. insane. So gallery shows, anything I could do to like get together. And that's when art walk was a big deal in downtown. So it was like, just like tons of people coming through and honestly, I just like didn't take any relationship I had for granted. I like met people. I nurtured those relationships. We all helped each other out. Like I always talk about the favor economy when you're first starting out, like everything's a favor. Like no one has money when you're first starting out. So like, how can I help you? How can you help me? How can we like barter this relationship to, to be the best that we can be and like help grow our businesses? And that was a huge part of my growth. 
I mean, that's what I preach constantly with my collaboration clients is you don't have to have huge marketing budgets to get the word out. You just have to align yourself with the right people that have something you need and want something that you have. And it's about this barter economy. That's yeah. how it happens in the beginning, guys. Like nobody starts out with crazy budgets. And if they do, they're not going to, you know, the stuff that's super fun. They're going to the need to have elements of your business. 100%. And also it's like find people who are in the same like boat as you. So like similar time, like timeline in their business, same amount of followers. Like that's where you guys like can really like collaborate and like figure it out because um, you know, I think there's so much momentum in, in communities that are like-minded and like figuring out how you can work together. Um, I mean, there's a million ways to team up. Yeah. And it's the most fun to do. I mean, when you're in that phase of business where it's hard and it's lonely and it's exhausting, having people that are in the same zone as you, even just to commiserate with and like yeah. share in the joys and the struggles, it's everything. It keeps you afloat. Totally. And those people, like we talked about earlier, become your people. They become your forever tribe. And as you both kind of evolve in your careers and your businesses and you get to be bigger and bigger deals and, you know, the outside world thinks you're just killing it, you've got each other to not only keep you grounded, but be like, hey, remember when? <laughs> no, totally. And like, even when you, people think you're killing it, you're still like struggling and trying to figure it out. So I would love to get rid of that phrase, honestly, because it's such an outside looking in perspective and even, you know, people that you think have made it or ultimately the most successful, like they don't always feel that way. Most of the time they don't feel that way. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think it's, it's also like, you know, no matter how successful you are, no matter if you've raised $50 million, like there's someone on the other end of that $50 million that needs you to make $250 million. So like you literally are constantly in flux. So like you may look polished and like figured out and like, you have everything together, but there's so many questions and people to answer to all the time. And so it's not as like glamorous and figured out as people think it is for sure. So are you telling us that your life is not perfect? No, not at all. What? <laughs> no, I mean, it's like, it's just so funny. Cause it's like amazing to get emails from women that are just like, Oh my God, I like look up to you. And it's so awesome. And I, I just feel like it's so wonder wonderful to like, it's very easy to tell the narrative of like, well, thank you. And like, here's my perfect life. And I just don't subscribe to that. I'm like, this is very real talk. This is where we're at. Like, you know. Well, and anybody that knows you too, and I don't even think you front on your social. I think you're pretty honest. Um, and people see what they want to see anyway, but anybody that knows you and, and knows me and knows anybody that anybody's ever said like, oh, well, you're killing it. It's like, yeah, but if you're paying attention and reading between the lines, like, there's a lot of exhaustion. There's a lot mm. of travel. There's a lot of really long hour days. Mo most days are that way. There's very few days where you're not working at least a little bit. And the hustle is real. The hustle, I mean, and for a long time in your business, especially if you're an entrepreneur or really anybody trying to build something, there's way more hustle and struggle than not. So mm. Totally. I, yeah. yeah. It's I always appreciate when people are pretty honest about it because then it makes it feel like it's doable for somebody else. Totally. Or it's like a good wake up call into like what's expected. You know, I think, you know, people and, and look like people should take breaks and figure out what's right for them. But like it's, it's nonstop work and not to say it's like that forever, but if you're starting a company, if you're bootstrapping a company, it's like, you got to be prepared, prepared for like the wild ride that is entrepreneurship. 
Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, entrepreneurship is not for most people. I, I talk people out of being an entrepreneur at least twice a day, <laughs> that and out of getting an MBA. I do a lot yeah. of talking people out of those things um, because it's, you know, you have to do it because you can't not do it. That's what I always say about entrepreneurship. Like, sure, if you can't think of anything else you'd rather do, go for it, but mm -hmm. know that this is the life. And I think a lot of people don't realize too, that entrepreneurs I think we're slightly psychotic. Totally. You have to be a little crazy. Yeah. You have to be like obsessed with what you do because it will be most of your life. And yeah. people, you know, my own husband, who's a very like 7am to 3pm financial advisor who, you know, when he leaves work, it's over. He yeah. I think he worries about me sometimes being like, you're still working. And I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't feel, I don't feel oppressed right? Like I don't feel like this is awful. I enjoy doing what I'm doing. So that's why I can spend most of my time doing it. But if I didn't feel that way, it would be awful. And I would immediately go back to a day job. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. So that's important to keep in mind. Okay. So I want to talk about your book because I'm so excited about it. Not only is it so pretty, yeah. um, I think it's just going to be such a game changer for women in their careers and as entrepreneurs. And so I want to talk about a couple of things that is even just like on the back jacket of it that I stole from Amazon. Um, <laughs> so I love that it says you turn distrust into determination, frustration into fuel and heartache into hard work. Is this coming from that phase of life when you moved to LA and shit kind of hit the fan and did not go the way that you thought it was going to? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, and I think it comes from like every, almost like every year of my life, like frustration into fuel is really like tackling sexism, ageism, mm -hmm. all of those things along the way. Like I look back when I started my first company and the things that happened, the things that were said to me in rooms, it's like, I, I just want to scream. Um, but it's like, okay, here's what I learned from that. And like, here's where you guys can take this to the next level. Um, heartache into, into hard work is obviously talking about like being a woman and like what I went through is like uh, dating other men, men with power struggles, men with like issues like that. And I think like that's a, that's one chapter of the book, but I think it's an important story. It's the, it's the having it all part of the book, right? Where mm -hmm. it's, I talk about how I was single during a lot of my early years running my first company and how it was honestly like the best thing for my businesses. But also, you know, I, in my head, when I look back at my, you know, 24 year old stuff, I was like, why am I single? Like right. no one loves me. No one's ever going to love me. But it's, it's honestly like I, I now have my employees, some of which who are single, some of which are not, who are in the same boat. Like, Oh, I just want a boyfriend. I'm like, no, you don't. This is like peak do it time. Like get all your shit done. Do take every meeting, go on every trip, like do it. And so that's kind of what it talks about a little bit as well. And then it also talks about like, once you're like in the mix, like dating and being a successful, powerful woman, obviously so many of the dynamics have changed in relationships and the lessons I've learned along the way from dating men that were very powerful and men that don't, you know, how they dealt with it in, in not so great ways and, and how I dealt with it as, you know, someone who was coming into my own power along, along sort of those relationships. So definitely has to do with that. Um, and, you know, distrust has to do a lot with my, my first business partner and what I went through in that sort of scenario, which is, which is broken down in the book, but also just distrust in general. I mean, I think 
I, when you're an early entrepreneur, you're very vulnerable. You're very excited. Like you're like, let's sign the contract. Let's do it. Like you're just wanting to go, 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 go. And you oftentimes learn lessons the hard way. Um, and you know, when you're like, Oh, it's fine. We'll get the contract later. Anyway, let's do all this work together. And then, Oh wait, you're not paying me. And like that happens more often than not. So it's tackling all those things that I, the mistakes I made early on and what I learned from them and, and, and honestly, like what I would suggest to my 23 year old self today. Which is, I mean, and you're, you and I are about the same age, like we're, you know, 10 years out from that girl and mm -hmm. Jesus, thank God you couldn't pay me enough money in the world to be in my twenties again, except for what you're talking about. The single days where, you know, when I first started at general assembly, I was single and very purposely so and I've never worked harder at a job that wasn't, you know, my own company and did not mind because nobody was like texting me being like, are you coming home? What are we going to yeah. do? And I love my husband and I'm, I could not be doing what I'm doing right now if it not, if it weren't for him. But in those, those days, you just, I think we don't appreciate the true sense of freedom and autonomy until later. Yeah. So totally. I, yeah, it's, it's, Exactly. And look, it's all relative. There's people who have relationships in their twenties that are insanely successful too. But I think there's something very empowering as a woman to be on your own and be loving it and just be grinding it out and taking every opportunity. Um, and it's something I'm like, almost like aggressively tell my younger employees. I'm like, do this, do that, get on every plane, take everything, you know, cause they're always like traveling with me and doing everything. Um, and they're, they're, you know, they have so much energy and I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. Like do it. Um, it. and I think it, I think it's important, you know, I think it's something that, and I think it, it's scary too, right? Like, it's like, you don't necessarily know, but I think, um, the more you take advantage of everything in your twenties, take jobs, find out what you like, find out what you don't like, apprentice, intern, volunteer, start your own business, shut your first business, launch a new business, like do all the things like when you have the energy and nothing to lose and like, just go for it. I think it's so important. I think I've had so many friends who just were, you know, were like, I, I, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I want to be an entrepreneur when they were 23, they're 27. I want to be an entrepreneur. I like, can't wait to launch my first business. I have this idea they're 32 now. And it's like, they just never did it. And I, and now they're like, well, I'm married. I have two kids. Like, I'm not going to do it now. And I just feel like so sad for that because I'm like, I just, you know, you should have just done it, you know, start uh -huh. by starting is something that I talk about a lot in the book. I love it. I mean, and you know, when you are in your twenties, like you don't know better, like you haven't mm -hmm. been burned a lot yet, you know, and the heartache, it hurts, I think worse when you're younger because you have nothing to compare it to. Um, but every major lesson in my life came from those 10 years of my twenties for sure. And I'm so grateful that I did them and I got it over with, but same, I was like traveling the world. I was traveling to Singapore and London and Paris, like with my first job out of undergrad alone, freaking my mom, my poor mom out. So much. <laughs> like you're going to where by yourself. I'm like, oh, Amazing. Um, but it was, it was some of the best times because it also taught me, you know, I, I learned how to have dinner alone. In those, yeah. you know, I learned that I didn't need, and this was before the iPhone. So <laughs> you couldn't like, just, I brought my newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> I would always bring a book, you know, this yeah. no Kindle, there was no iPhone. Jesus. Are we at the age when we're like, <laughs> Oh man. Oh, I just feel like I showed our age. Um, Amazing. but it is incredible. So I love that, that those three main lessons are, were woven into the book. And then something else <clears throat> that's, that I pulled from, I guess the cover jacket is how to embrace failure and reconcile your femininity with being a boss. And 
The embrace failure part, I think, is one of the most crucial lessons all of us can learn and will continue to learn throughout our entire lives. And the femininity piece I want to dive into because I feel this a lot. And we're obviously in a very contentious time mm. where <laughs> women are regaining our power and our sense of femininity, but we're not quite sure what to do with that energy yet. And we're not quite sure how to behave and what's acceptable and what isn't. Um, and I think the whole feminist, even the word feminist conjures up so many different feelings in mm. within women. Totally. Um, so I want to feel, I want to hear like, what does that mean to you reconciling your femininity with being a boss? Yeah, I think it's a couple different things. Cause I think one for me is like the notion of what a boss is in my head growing up being, you know, kind of again, watching media and things like that was like, the power boss, right? Like showing up in their power suit, coming in, being, you know, for lack of a better word, a bitch mm -hmm. and like bossy and bossing everyone around and like then leaving with their power suit, whatever. And it's so funny to me because I'm like, I ran my first business when I was 23 years old. I'm 33 now. And literally it's so funny because we have like senior vice presidents at our company now who, you know, worked corporate jobs for 10 years. And I'm like, oh, we have our team meeting. Like everyone sits on the ground in my office and we all like talk about things. And they're like, this is so strange, but I'm like, it works. Like, I just don't think that there has to be, and I, I'm never like a high heel power suit. I'm literally wearing like a t-shirt right now. I didn't know I was going to be on video, but I'm like, okay, I'm wearing just, a t-shirt. I just yeah, happen to throw this little blazer, blazer on. on. I love it. But it's like, I just am like a very real talk CEO. I'm not precious about what that means. I, it means I pick up trash on site just like everyone else. I like scramble and do junior level stuff all the time. I'm not like, I'm in the mix with the most junior person on my team and I'm in the mix with the most senior person on my team. I don't, I treat work so differently than what was presented to me as like what a CEO should be. And I think that's, I think that's a little bit what I'm talking about is like, you don't have to be like, I, I say in the book, like, there's so much pressure on women. Like not only do you have to be the smartest person in the room, but you have to be the funniest, most charming and best looking. And it's just way too much pressure. And it's, I think back like on my early like meetings and I, I'm like, I like, you know, hair flipped and like, you know, whatever, far more than I'd like to admit in meetings to like, be like, I'm so funny and charming. Like you'll love me, but I'm like also like, oh, and also I'll do the work and like crush it for you. And I think now being in a position where people want to take meetings with me and like want me in the room, it's like, I take a very specific stance and like being like, well, this is who I am. This is how I do it. And like, I frankly don't give a shit. Like it's just being able to be like, look, I'm the boss. I run like a multi-million dollar company and like, this is how I do it. And, and this is how it has to get done. And like, no, I'm not going to roll up and like, you know, be the, the, like, you know, the power suit, like, you know, high powered person. Like this is, this is what it is. And I think that's at the core of what work party is, is that work has fundamentally changed and the women doing the work have as well. And that's the shift in the change that I'm excited about. So you're kind of leading the charge in what it means to be a boss for you. And I think by saying like, well, this is my version of CEO yeah. and there isn't a one size fits all approach to being a boss and then being a female boss. Like, I, and this is what I want to talk about too. And I know you have feelings on this, like the whole idea of, oh, I'm a female, I'm a CEO, I'm a girl boss, I'm a lady boss, I'm a what are your feelings on that? Because I have both sides of the feelings. <laughs> I have all the yeah. feelings. <laughs> I, I think it's like, look, I think whatever, especially like, and again, I think times, have, I think it's changed over time. But I think when that first came out, when like Girl Boss first came out or, you know, CEO and, and all these like things to empower women came out, 
it was awesome. Like, I think women were genuinely like gravitating towards that. It felt comfortable to them at the moment to be able to say that versus like, I'm a boss. Mm -hmm. Great. Whatever you need to do to make you feel powerful and like get you to the place you need to be, I'm, I'm all about. But I do think then media like grabbed onto that and they're like, oh, like girl boss, like little girl boss. Like, no. And, like, look how cute she is. Look how cute. And, like, and that's the thing is like, even today we still get articles written about us that are like this millennial pink soaked business. And I'm like, you mean this self-funded business? Like it's just, it, it happens all the time. And it's just the narrative that's been created around it, which is fine. I mean, look, I like pink, but I'm like, I always say, and like, and I'll get quoted as this, but like, it can be pink and it can also be serious and fun and profitable. Like this is where like, there's this discrepancy, I think amongst um, the cultural conscious right now where people are sort of dealing with that. Um, but look, I think it's important for women to make money. I think it's important to, for women to support other women by giving them money, whether it's, you know, hiring an agency, hiring a freelancer, whatever it is like, you know, Kristen Bell spoke at one of our conferences and said something like, you know, you vote with your dollars. And I think like you also make change with your dollars. So it's important to put those dollars in the right places. Um, and I think, you know, that brand of, of female boss came out and it inspired and empowered lots of women. Awesome. Like what's next is like my question. Yeah, I agree. It was almost like the training wheels. A lot of yeah. women needed to feel like okay, I'm, I'm not fully comfortable calling myself this yet, but I can go with this, you know, this qualify, qualifier version of it, of like, mm -hmm. I'm, yes, I'm a female entrepreneur. I feel like, you know, I, I see both sides of the same coin with it. It's like, it gives people something to gravitate towards. And it's like, well, yeah, I identify with these women entrepreneurs. I want to embrace that. And then there's the other side of me that plays devil's advocate, which is, yeah, but I'm an entrepreneur. Why do I have to be a female entrepreneur? You're not calling yourself a male entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So it's tricky. And I think with feminism, there's so many layers to it. Mm. And I think that at the end of the day, the answer has to be as a woman, what do you want it to mean for you? It comes down to that choice. Everything comes back to choice and just not being dictated to and told well, this is how you have to do things. I mean, it's, you know, the age old, age old argument about like, well, do feminists believe like there should be strippers? Is that women empowerment or is that, you know, and it's yeah. like, I mean, my perspective is like, so long as people are choosing to do things, call themselves things, behave in certain ways that they choose to do under their own volition, more power to you, sister. You know? Yeah. There's a whole chapter in the book about reconcile also like feminism and capitalism, because I think we sometimes get flack and they're like, you're capitalizing on feminism. And I think it's totally wrong. Who says that, men? I mean, probably. I'm like, I'm like, who are these people commenting? No. Right. Um, but like, here's my feeling on it is like, un unfortunately, we live in a society where money equals power, right? Like, it's just the way the power structure is. Um, and I think... I'm a feminist. I'm also a capitalist. And I believe the more money in the hands of women who have decision-making power, CEOs, CMOs, whatever, um, that where they can spend their dollars amongst what I'm like hiring women, yep. that's where change happens. Like that's where equal pay happens. That's where more women in the boardroom happens. And I think, you know, that's where my head's at. Um, but you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of arguments to be made on like both sides. And I think we're in a really interesting time. Um, but I personally, as someone who's in the mix with a lot of women all the time, I do feel like there is actual change happening now. Whereas mm -hmm. I did not feel that way five years ago. 
Oh, same. We're in a very aggressive movement right now. It feels like the energy is different. It mm-hmm. feels real. I, yeah. I got into a Facebook fight with some dude the other day about whether the Me Too movement is here to stay. And he's like, well, it's just going to be a passing fad. And I'm like, the hell it is. Like, this is different. And I've, I'm sad that you think that because you're going to be so caught off guard when you realize you're wrong um, and you are wrong. But I, this feels different. I think mm-hmm. this wave that we're all being sucked into, I think for better or worse, it's this change is coming. And I'm most excited about it because I think this is the time in our evolution where women kind of wake up and they come to and they start to look around being like, oh, these shackles are actually not real. Like Mm -hmm. we've kept ourselves in this place for a long time by giving our power away and it's, it's changing and it's really exciting. Totally. And I I always say, I'm like, the media and men in general and society in general fed us the narrative that we should compete with one another and hate on one another. And like the moment where everyone's like, Oh wait, no, never mind. I'm just going to like boost you up and help you out and like do all these things. It was like, boom, like all of this happened. So I'm like, guys, like, this is it. This is how we, we honestly like make everyone else eat their words. I mean, it's, it's crazy because even in, you know, I think it still goes on, but definitely growing up, the mean girl thing was real. Like Mm -hmm. we had burn books. There was always the token mean girl. There was, it was, it was real. And I look at that and I'm like, the boys never did that to each other. Like they beat each other up. They bullied in different ways, but like the women were so busy keeping each other down that like Mm-hmm. We weren't busy doing what we actually wanted to do because we were so wrapped up in this nonsense. And it happens, I mean, I think it starts with mothers showing their daughters how to behave, but I'm so excited for the next few generations to see if things really do shift because our mm-hmm. minds and our vibes have shifted. I mean, my whole business, other than this podcast and the career stuff, is the collaboration work. And it's the greatest thing on earth to see women coming together and supporting one another and helping amplify each other's voices. And I want to talk about that a little bit with Create and Cultivate because I think that's how it's become so successful is by you and your team reaching out, leveraging relationships and supporting one another. I mean, you've supported me along the way in whatever way you've been able to. I've always tried to support you and all the other women in my life and men of two too, of course. But I think I, I want to know more about whether that's an, a very clear objective in your business to make that collaboration over competition um, front and center, or if it's just kind of naturally evolved that way. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm just that type of person. Like it's not, I wouldn't say it's like an objective. We don't have like strategy meetings about how to be collaborative, (laughs) but I think it's like, it's just always been in my nature. I've always been someone who's like connected someone, tried to give someone the opportunity, try to get women paid. Like, I, I think that's something that I've always done in my first business, in my second business. So when Create and Cultivate came um, you know, to life as a real business, I was like, oh, cool. I can have all my friends like promote what they're working on and get them in the limelight. And, and that started in really small ways early on and now in really big ways. And it's, it's so, it's just so insane that this is my job. Like, and I think about this all the time. Like, I'm like, cool. I get to like find really amazing, inspiring women and then get to meet them and hang out with them and then have them speak to other amazing and inspiring women. It's, it's like, the best. It's, it's so best. Cool. um, but yeah, it's been amazing and it's been awesome to, see what's come out of people speaking at Create and Cultivate, like Maxie McCoy, who's a good friend of mine, who you know as well, you know, she comes to all of our um, conferences and, you know, she, the other day, and it, it like blew my mind where she's like, my career's 
basically built off create and cultivate like the momentum and the brand deals and the people I meet and the things that happen from just going is insane. And, and I've heard that from close friends like that. I've heard it from attendees. I've heard it from, you know, our sponsors who were like, look, I sponsored and then I quit that job and I started my own company. And you're like, what? Um, it, it's awesome. And it's, it's definitely a humbling experience. And I, it's something I don't take lightly. And which is why I think people, people slash my team think I'm so insane, but like, I care so much. Like, um, you know, I think I've never cared so much about anything I've ever done in my entire life. You know, when people give me their money, I don't take that lightly. And especially if you're buying tickets to a conference, like I want you to show up, have the most seamless experience throughout the day, which is why I like, I see every customer service email and I like, I'm like, I, we have to make this person feel better about their experience. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's an amazing job and it's awesome to be able to do this, but it's also like, I, I don't take it, take it for granted that I am pushing people to start their own companies or do things in, or inspiring people to do it. Um, it's amazing. And I, and I hope like, you know, looking back on it, I'll be able to have like changed some people's lives. Well, you already have. There's no question about that. I think you can mark that one off your list. It'll <laughs> continue to, to get bigger. I mean, it's true. Like even with me, you know, we've known each other for years. And as I started getting into my own business and speaking more and teaching and all of that. Like you've always been so generous giving me access to your platforms and, and giving me a microphone, you know, before other people would. And I think that's, that's a beautiful gift you have that you're able to give people. And the fact that it isn't lost on you is, is why people care about you and love you so much and are appreciative. So thank you. Don't stop. It's <laughs> Um, so you are in front of so many women of so many different ages all day, every day, and then through create and cultivate, which you call a 365 day conference, which mm. I think is great. What is at the top of most women's minds right now? Oh, it's so much stuff. But I think like the number one things that we get are one, I need to raise money. How do I raise money? The other thing we get is when do I quit my job and start my company? Mm. And I think those are the two things that we, we honestly, like there's, it was interesting. We pulled our audience. We're like, what topics do you want to hear about? And everyone was like, how do I turn my side hustle into a full-time job across the board? Mm. And it's, it's really interesting and amazing. And I think it's something that we always do a financial panel. I think it's so important for people to know how to raise money, um, if they should raise money, why they should raise money. Um, you know, I've both of my businesses I've had are completely self-funded. I've never raised money. So I'm like, I'll, I have no idea, but I can bring all the experts into the room to give you that advice. Um, but I also, like, I love telling the self-funded story as well. Um, cause I think there's a lot of like media love around people who raise money and, oh, yeah. I, and I don't think people know what they're getting into or why they need it. Um, the other, the other thing is the side hustle piece is like, you know, I think that's become a larger part of the conversation of like, all right, let's really get into this and break it down. Um, because I think, you know, in my mind, I'm like, think of your nine to five as your investor in your company, right? Like all those hours you're putting in and all that money you're making, you know, 10% of that, 5%, 50%, whatever, put that into your side hustle. Once you hit the threshold where you can survive three months without that job, go. So I, you know, and I, I think that's my opinion. I think it obviously totally depends on the business, but, um, you know, I, I love kind of getting into that with women and, and, um, you know, kind of having those conversations. For sure. I think entrepreneurship is very glamorized in our culture now. And even past that, the blogger lifestyle, the influencer lifestyle, we see, we see women that are actively making very good money out there, you know, hawking products, their own, other people's. And we're like, well, shit, I want that lifestyle. 
but knowing so many women that do that personally, who are my friends, it is so much work. Mm. It is so much work. And there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. One of my good friends, um, Ashley Torres, who has everyday pursuits, like I've seen her start from pursuit of shoes, you know, back in Lord knows what year that was, 2010. Um, and how many, how many struggles she's gone through, how much effort she's had to put in to get to a place where people are like, oh, well, you just get to try on clothes for a living. And it's like, y'all, it is not that, not that mm-hmm. simple. So I no. think, I think it's good too, that you give very practical advice for if and when to both take fun- funding and to go out on your own, because the reality is always far less glamorous than people make mm. it out to be. And hey, I'm all for entrepreneurship and starting your own thing and never wishing you had done something that you didn't do. You just need to be armed with the right information and be really, really real about it with yourself. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and I feel like you've done this kind of naturally in your own career, but how do you, if you even think about this from time to time, like how do you stay happy in your career year after year? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I think for me, it's, it's, I love it so much. Like I think it's been such a wild ride. And I think, I mean, look, like I get tired, I get burnt out. It, it's a, the more team members, the hard, the harder it is. There's so much in the mix. Um, but I genuinely love what I do. It's so much fun. And I think you have to be passionate about your career, like you said. And so when you're checking emails at 1030 at night, you don't feel like you're checking emails at 1030 at night. You're just like excited. Like you, I get excited every time something new happens, like a new thing, like the book or the podcast. Like I'm like, ah, this is so exciting. And the team's energy really feeds that as well. So having the people around you that are also just as genuinely excited as you are, um, you know, makes all the difference. And I think it's also like, you know, because people are like, tell us about your work-life balance routine. And I'm like, it's non- bullshit. Non-existent. Um, it's bullshit. It's, it, I think that's something designed to keep us feeling unfulfilled in one place or the other. It's so true. And like, I, I mean, look, like I definitely need to get healthier. <laughs> um, I definitely need to like chill on the carbs, but I, <laughs> but they're know, so good. But they're so good. Um, but like, I, I was like, you know, it's, it's almost sleep when I'm dead mentality because I'm just like, this is so fun. Like, yeah, I want to get on that plane. Yeah. I want to go to that place. Like, yes, I want to meet this person. Yes. I want to do this thing for everyone. Like it's, it's just such a good and exciting time that I'm like, why would I like be like, no, I'm just going to slow down and like chill first. Like, it's just like, I'm like, this is momentum and it feels amazing. And like, you know, I'll, I'll deal with everything else when I have time to deal with it. But like, I think go where the momentum is. You cannot manufacture momentum. It no. just happens. So you really have to, uh, ride that wave when it comes. And, and the moment you stop enjoying it or hate it, the moment you need to take a break, like you should absolutely do that. Um, I'm just not there yet. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, when you do love what you do and you're getting so much personal satisfaction out of it, to pause for the sake of pausing, again, you have to look around and be like, well, who said I had to do this? And why are they saying that? Like, are, do they need a pause? I think, again, it goes back to personal choice and making totally. sure you're making decisions based on what you want, not what you think you should be doing. Totally. And it's like, I look back, you know, when I started my company, I, you know, different companies like five years ago, and it's like, you're waiting for these type of emails to come to you yeah. and they like, don't come to you. So I'm like, when they're coming to me, I'm going to be like, yes, like, this is so exciting. So, um, you know, you make your own rules like there and, and guess what? There are no rules. So yeah. you, you do what you want to do. I mean, people sometimes are like, you are insane that you're doing this much. Like, and 
I just am like, yeah, but I love it. And it's so fun. And like, if we can keep doing it well, I'll keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Yeah. It, is there anything you, you haven't done yet in your career that you're excited? Like, is there still something in the back of your mind? Like when I grow up, I still want to do this. Oh God. I mean, I definitely want to get better at like public speaking. So I'm, I love being on panels. I love doing that stuff, but like when you have to, and you're so good at this, but give like a 30 minute presentation, like where it's just you, like, I love moderating panels. I love talking to people, but I'm like, I get up there and I'm like, yeah. And I actually did a TED Academy uh, workshop, which was so fun and so informative. Um, and everyone was so amazing. And I definitely was like the worst and I thought I'd be so good, but it was, it was such a good lesson. And like, I was like, got it. Okay. Like I need to flex that muscle. It's a totally different muscle than hosting or moderating or whatever. Um, so that's definitely something I want to do and like, you know, get to TED talk level vibes. Um, but yeah, I think that's like the one thing that I'm like still working on. But that's great. I think the moment you feel like you've tapped out and you've done everything you want to do is when people really freak out and have like a career crisis where they're like, well, I achieved my goals. Now what? You know, setting new goals, I think perpetually is what does keep you excited and engaged in your career. 100%. You'll get there. It's the it's my favorite thing to do on the whole planet. <laughs> oh, I know. You're so good at it. Well, you know, it was so funny because they did this thing that I thought was so interesting. So I did mine the first time, like the first, and they're like, okay, we're going to come back and do it a second time. And the second time I came back, there was newspapers on the floor. And I was like, that's weird. And basically it was to show you how much you're moving. Cause it's like, like every time you move, there's like a crunch. Do and they not part- want you to move? like basically they're like move with intention. So like, if you have a big point to make you like lean forward, I was just like tap dancing. I'm like, la, 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 like all over the room. Um, but I was like little things like that where it's like, Oh, right. Like these guys know exactly what they're talking about. And like learning from the best was awesome. But, um, yeah, I think it's always good to have items on, on your list. And, um, yeah, every day I'm always like, what can we do next? So yeah, well, and that's what that's what keeps it really fun and entertaining to watch you from, you know, you. my front row seat, which I'm thankful to have. Um, and then final question, like, how do you put this work party philosophy into practice in both your life and in Create and Cultivate and with your employees? Yeah, I mean, the whole, it's so funny because like the work party mentality is really born out of being around all these amazing women and really just seeing the change in the working environment. And you know, there's 10 rules to work party and they're all sort of outlined in different ways. And, um, the one that sticks out the most to me is the pay it forward one. Um, and I think it's so important. And I tell a story about these two girls, like early, early on in my career, um, I threw this event and they basically, you know, came and it was like a tiny event. It was like nothingness. And, and they were like, this is really cool. And our company should be doing this. And they worked for a big corporate company. Um, they got me in the room with the white, right people. They weren't senior level. They were definitely junior mid-level and they just took a chance on me, got me in that room, got me that pitch and changed my business when I won it. And I think back on those girls and like, again, these aren't like close friends. Like these are women that just were like, I like what you're doing. We should be doing it. I'm going to give you this opportunity. And I, what I stress the most in work party is like, everyone can do that. Like you don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have to have a lot of power. You can be in any position and you can literally just give someone the opportunity And that's something that's so important to me, to our team, to anything that I ever do is like, how can we pay it forward in this moment? Um, And that's honestly the major takeaway from, from work party for me. I mean, it's absolutely true. Like you don't have to be a super well-connected person to connect somebody. You don't have to have all the answers to give an answer. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's just about being kind and offering support where, where you can and knowing that relationship karma is absolutely real. A hundred percent. I've seen it come around and go around and been the recipient and the benefactor more times than I can count. And it's, it's my favorite part of what I do too. So, well, girl, this was so fun. I hope everybody got to hear some new pieces of your story. And I know I always love talking to you and appreciate everything you've done for me and for just women in general. Keep kicking ass. You're the best. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Bye guys.